0: Yeah. I actually think Rogue One ruins the other Star Wars movies. Oh my goodness. Because that's how, wrong. how can you go you from wrong. How can you go from Rogue One where Darth Vader enters, you know, the Republic ship yeah. and is just that's awesome. That's an awesome scene. That is an awesome where scene. Where he just thing. shreds all the rebel troopers. No. And, and it's almost it like a horror really cool. film. And then it's like, all right, well let's plug in a new hope. And he's like a chess piece with no. two-handed boom. You do not
1: understand. Boom. You do not understand this. Like it's like watching a game of, it's like you do not understand
0: the appeal of Star Wars. At it's all. like playing it's like if you played a great VR no, action no. fighting game and then immediately plugged in Pong. No, that's not true. That's <laughs> that is such a lie.
1: That is such a lie. You heard it here. Folks. A New Hope
0: is so A New much Hope superior. is Pong. So it was strange. revolutionary at the time. No, it, it's Undeniably still better. It is so. Still better. But it is not no, better now. No, it
1: is. Now. It is. A New Hope is still way better than Rogue One.
0: No, nope. way better. History will prove me. History will vindicate me. You're, you're no from your lies right. and slander. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Twitter will. Maybe Twitter will vindicate me because that oh, they do a lot of vindicating on Twitter.
1: <laughs> that's not very likely at all. I don't. <laughs>
0: What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and -and Know-It-All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Crazy. Paul, a little bit of trivia, is recording today with his microphone on top of my Doritos Awesome Mix Volume 2 box. It's an awesome box. It is. Courtesy of one Caleb Zier, friend of the show. He actually bought that for me, uh, f- tracked it down on eBay. You are kidding me. Somebody actually bought you something. That's really nice. Yeah, he knew I, it was the Doritos bag that had, you can plug your headphones into it and listen to the entire Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 soundtrack on it. Into the Doritos bag? Into the Doritos bag, yeah, I've got it right there. Have you, have you Oh not seen my this? goodness, no I haven't. So I'm showing Paul, I posted pictures of it on twitter before but oh look at this this is so cool yeah it looks like it's a cassette deck right yeah 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 and it's got the play stop skip track all of that you plug your headphones into it and you can listen to the entire soundtrack i am officially envious i have never been envious of you before jake
1: but that is really cool that's really neat i noticed you have another bag of doritos unopened is
0: that also i mean Um, those are from switzerland Switzerland. Shout out to Swiss, my brother, Jess. Swiss he Doritos. He and his, my, wife's, my wife's brother is from Switzerland. They live there. They were coming to visit. They asked, is it, does anybody want anything? And I said, do you guys have any weird Dorito <laughs> flavors? And he's like, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. They're kind of all normal. But then he shows up and he's got this bag. It looks like a, a Cool you know, Ranch, a cool Doritos. ranch, ranch yeah. bag. But yeah. did you see the, the name? What no. it's actually called? No. Cool American. Oh you are kidding yeah. me. Paul's blind, but the oh yeah, it's the bag fell over. But
1: Cool American.
0: They're called cool American Doritos.
1: So do you ever get tempted, like during long podcasts and all of our podcasts are pretty long? <laughs>
0: do you ever get tempted to, to
1: open this up
0: and eat it? I have not been, no. Hmm. Neither of them. I feel pretty good about leaving them closed. And... So would you get really mad if I open it up? Um and I'd find eating. a way to forgive you. <laughs> You've forgiven I'm me sure, a lot the sure last couple of weeks. I'm sure your three troll fans would be very happy if you did that right now. <laughs> Riff. Crunch, 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 crunch. I would turn it into, like, my... You see my Doritos bag there. Oh, I yeah. found a guy I met a guy... What at, is it with you and Doritos? I love Doritos. You don't this know this is... about me? <laughs> no. Ever since I was a child. As far back as I can remember, I remember the first time I had Cool Ranch Doritos as a four-year-old. And it blew my mind. And then I remember when I was about... Nine or ten, I had salsa verdes for the first time. My my mouth hurt so bad, but I loved it. Wow! So I met a guy in Washington D.C. at Eastern okay. Market, yeah. in D.C., who actually t- finds like chip bags. What was that, that? That chip bags. Chip bags. Chip bags or um, any discarded bag, want uh, single use bags for snacks? Sure. That people have just littered on the sidewalk. He takes them home, he washes them multiple times, and then he laminates them like with vinyl and put zippers and stuff on them and turns them into fanny packs, into uh, you know little bags for your phone, for your tablet, all sorts of wow, fun different little things. Wow, that
1: is actually pretty impressive.
0: And In and those Dorito bags, they're I mean they're pretty sturdy.
1: They would hold up for a Yeah, while.
0: especially cuz you know he 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 Coats them with a special vinyl. Like, it makes them waterproof and stuff like that. So. You know, it
1: feels like we should get a Dorito sponsorship now.
0: We really should. I've been... I, I literally have that on my Twitter pr- uh, profile. Aspiring Doritos Influencer. <laughs> I've, been, I've been angling this for, this for a while. Right. Well, I right think on. I give them too much free publicity. So yeah. they're like, why would we... Why would we pay him? He's already talking about it. I don't it. even want to be paid. Just send me free Doritos. That's all yeah. I ask. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say another thing about Doritos on this podcast. Nothing. 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 Not You're on they, to Cheetos. Not till they ante up. You're on to those
1: Bugles. Bugles are great.
0: Oh, They're actually not. They are really Have good. Have you had them since
1: you were a kid? Oh, we need to do a top five on chips. <laughs> we should do a top five on chips. <laughs> I've I loved Bugles, bugles as fantastic. a kid. They're not good. You can put them on your fingers, wave them around. They're fun. They're
0: really cool. But they are gross. Hmm. No, I disagree. All right. Well, we'll we'll do a taste test at some point. <laughs> you guys can just listen to us eat chips over the microphone. <laughs> what is the name What is the name for the people that hate hearing people chew? There's a name for that. Normal. <laughs> We're here to talk about war movies today. <laughs> as if you couldn't tell. A new one, 1917. 1917, as well as our list of our top 5 favorites. War movies of all time, which is a bit of a misnomer. <laughs> Weird <laughs> yeah. to have a favorite movie about lots of people dying. War movies are a really
1: odd duck. Yeah. They're they're a little bit difficult, as 1917 was. Yes. And yet it was really good.
0: Yeah, war movies for me, uh, I can think very distinctly of the fact that I've had different seasons in my life where i I appreciated them differently. Yeah, I remember being young. And the very first war movie I ever saw was *Gone with the Wind*. Hated it, and particularly hated the scene where Scarlett O'Hara shows up and all the wounded. Oh yeah, yeah. Are oh, just yeah. spread. Oh my goodness, that that me. was serious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then I got into sort of junior high and high school and maybe my early college years, and I was all about war movies. I was watching them all over the place, war TV shows like Band of Brothers. Well, they sort of tap into one of the things that, that I do know about you.
1: Didn't know about Doritos, but I know that you really like this, these male bonding movies, right? <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, you 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 say that about me, so <laughs> I still haven't identified that about myself. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, we'll just look at your top fives, and we'll you
0: can tell us. We'll see what you think, um, but not so much since then. Maybe over the last decade, I've have watched far fewer war movies, and have a much harder time watching them. They bother me in a different way than they used to. Hmm. Uh, so that that made this project of ranking favorite war movies an interesting one for me.
1: Yeah, I I will be very interested to hear your list. Actually, I think it'll be. This may be one of the more educational
0: top fives that we do. You'll get to learn more about me than you ever wanted to. Yeah. I know that's kind of the story of the show. I already
1: too much show. about you already.
0: But, uh, and then, of course, we'll wrap up the show the way we love to wrap up every single show with the most least important thing. But now it's time for 1917. 1917 a new movie from director Sam Mendez if i'm Sam Mendez correct mistaken is uh, out at theaters near you dear friends it wasn't for a while it no. was released in select theaters for Oscar reasons exactly in 2019 but didn't get a wide release until now in January of if 2020
1: if you were in, in New York or LA you could watch it if not you've had to wait until just right about now
0: right or you had to have a screener like paul and i like yeah yeah because we're cool we are cool uh <laughs> please think we're cool <laughs> this this uh, discussion of 1917 will include spoilers uh, i know that can seem ironic or that's not the right word that can seem odd for war movies because we typically know we typically know who, who won. won yeah but you know there's a lot of stories from these wars And we don't know the end of those. So, some of the end and middle and beginning of these, the story portrayed in 1917, will be spoiled in this podcast. So, if you care about that, skip on ahead to our list of top five favorite war movies. Insert Doritos commercial here. (laughs) Yes, that's right. No, I'm not saying their name one more time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Not till I get my free (laughs) Doritos. All right, nineteen seventeen. Um, Paul, you want to set the <laughs> table for us here? I will set the table. Yes, nineteen seventeen.
1: It was a big year for war. <laughs> <laughs> Argu- it was arguably one of the yeah, biggest to date. Yeah, it was a world war. It was called the greatest war for a
0: while. Terrible name. It was a really terrible name because it was a horrible war. It was a really terrible yeah. war. They had the 90- no bad, very terrible, <laughs> most worst war. Thing.
1: It was. One of the things about World War One is that it completely upended what we thought... I mean, war has always been really terrible, but World War One took it to another level in every which way. It was just horrendous. Whenever I think about just sort of what hell might look like, I think about World War One in a way, because it's just that bad. Nine million people died... Um I think t- in in battle, I think that twice as many civilians died during the bat during the war, um, a lot of the nine million casualties that that hit were actually from disease and from um, bad operations and that sort of thing because they really didn't know how to you know cleanse anything they didn't think that that sanitary conditions were a big deal at the time. Um, so you have this we really- invented new
0: forms of warfare with chemicals
1: chemical and- biological warfare. All of a sudden, you, you move away from... Uh, one of the movies that didn't make my top five list was War Horse, where you mm. actually see the the movement away from this sort of gallant, chivalric style of warfare to this horrific machine-driven uh, slog that just is... It, it completely dehumanizes every aspect of, of everything, it seems like. So... That's sort of the backdrop for this story that is surprisingly tightly told. You have two soldiers who are given a mission to cross nine miles worth of no man's land, essentially, trying to get to from an old line to a new line where there's about to be some some British soldiers attacking a German fortification, essentially the the big German line there. The British soldiers who are up on the front, they think it's going to be an easy thing because the Germans are retreating. They think they've got them on the ropes. They don't know that the Germans retreated to this brutal network of defenses that is just going to tear them apart. Suck them in. Exactly. So you have these two soldiers who are on a mission to tell them to not do the attack. And probably the big thing, the, the reason why they picked these two soldiers is because one of them has a brother who's about to attack with that big body of of British soldiers. So, so that's really the setup. It's a very simple story uh, about these two soldiers going to do this very very dangerous mission in some of the worst imaginable conditions that you can you can think of.
0: Yeah. And I have to say I appreciate that about this story. It does not Except in little asides, the movie itself is not so much concerned with the rightness or wrongness of any one side of the war, any actors in the war, any characters in the broader political statement or even making political statements about now using that. The, the movie itself, and I thought this was really summed up by the thank you at, at after the movie ended where Sam Mendes thanks his own grandfather sure. for the stories that yeah. he told. yeah. Um, This felt like a story Mm -hmm. that your grandfather told you about a friend or, um, you know, a fallen comrade from the war. I remember hearing the stories from my own grandfather about World War II. Um, And so this, to me, one thing I really appreciated was sort of the quietness Mm -hmm. of the film overall in the midst of this horror, in the midst of this bombastic hellacious time. Right there's a quietness to this story because it says the cinematography itself says we are watching these two men. Right, and these two men alone.
1: Right, it's a very very intimate story, and I think that's a, one of the things that that is an interesting contrast when you when you when you look at different movies made of the two big world wars. Right, they almost always. Are very different movies because World War II is really thought of as sort of a, a a just war, a righteous war. You know, you're fighting the Nazis; they really needed to be fought. You have a lot. World War II stories tend to have a lot of heroism, a lot of of uh, it's still terrible, but you still have those elements that we are fighting for something. And Dunkirk was a lot like that. You have you have these three storylines essentially they cut across each other and you see the heroism the 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 gallantry within this horrible horrible time Um, it doesn't minimize the horror by any means but you see you see that this is something worth fighting for world war one movies world war one was kind of a meaningless war in some ways it just felt like it was fought for no reason it killed so many people for for nothing other than you know the the pride of various countries in europe it was a it was a crazy crazy reason to fight a war in in a lot of ways and and i think because of that it lends itself to in an odd sort of way to more introspective stories it you still see hero, heroism here you still see the idea of pursuing your duty, pursuing a, a noble goal, but that noble goal is really just survival, right. not only for the soldiers that we see that that the story focuses on, but the sto- the the soldiers that they're running to save. And I think that, that it brings a poignancy to the story that
0: that is really powerful, I think. Yeah. It it hones in on this on exact I think exactly what you said that the only goal was survival. There wasn't this grand and glorious, we have to stop this evil empire that's trying to destroy right. the world as we know right. it. It it's it, There is this sense of despondency, mm-hmm. this sense of uh, sort of a accepted dread of this muck and this mire and this death and the pointlessness no- pointlessness of it yeah and yet doing the right thing right by the guy next to you right exactly to try to get to the next minute right the next second right even and how and how even little decisions of uh, grace and humanity can be huge for good and evil yeah yeah and that and that really struck me. Yeah. In this film.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. And and, and, and again, I go back to, to what I said earlier, where, where in some ways World War One was probably the most inhumane war that that I've ever read about. And yet within this movie, you see those moments of beautiful humanity. Um, you see those moments of friendship and how they propel both of these, these fellows forward. And, and um, there's this beautiful scene... Where in a terrible, you know, after, after a really terrible day, one of the soldiers finds himself in a basement uh, in, this, in this war brutalized, you know, it, it's basically a skeleton of a yeah, town. a little French you know, town, yeah. it, it, all, the, all the structures reminded me of tombstones and the whole bit. He's in essentially this basement and he runs across this, this woman with a little baby. And the tenderness that we see between – among all three of them reminds us that, that even in those – in these really inhumane times, you can still find humanity. And it's that humanity that actually winds up, I think, saving and redeeming, you know, the people involved.
0: Yeah. And I have to say um, – but with, it doesn't – that said, it doesn't shy away from no how – the human evil involved, and that desire for self-preservation, even causes uh, acts of humanity to be punished. Right. Whereas, and so this is oh yeah. Where your yeah. spoiler warning is, you know, uh, I kept thinking this in the scene that you mentioned with the French woman that he encounters. Right. Um, who's who's obviously hiding and afraid of the soldiers. Um, you know, it it made me think, oh my goodness, is she going to be a honeypot before you see the baby? Right, right, right. She's going to be a honeypot meant to capture him if he shows her any kindness, because if you see him start to show kindness, because not just a few hours earlier, he lost his compatriot. Right. When trying to show some humanity to a German soldier who was wounded. right. And his friend wound up being thanked with a knife in the gut and and dying and in the a friend horrible, died. sad way.
1: In a horrible, sad way. It was really terrible. And it, and it was so poignant, I think, the idea that at the conclusion, the thing that the, the solace that he had was essentially that, that his friend didn't die alone. You know, yeah. and that's that's a it's both. You know, there's a there's a certain beauty, but there's it, the the beauty is sad is sown with a great deal of sadness. You know, there's because you know that he suffered, you know that he died way too young, and the the idea that he didn't die alone—that was the only solace that they could find. Um, the the thing that strikes me about that particular scene is that the movie's what a quarter, a third over by that point in time. Yeah. The guy who dies is the guy whose brother was on the front line right There's no reason for his compatriot
0: necessarily. He has no personal connection. He has to the no mission. personal
1: connection. He knows that, that he's got what six, seven miles to go through through this nightmarish world and yet because of his friend and because of because he feels so strongly that it's the right thing to do, he goes
0: ahead and does it yeah and, and- and he had twice previously not, made it very clear. He didn't want to be he there. didn't want to be there. <laughs> and I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and there's a, there's, there's a scene before his friend dies after he has his own near-death experience where he says, why'd you pick me? Yeah. And there's this futility. Why did you yeah. pick me? And it sort of feels like the film is sort of crying that out on behalf of all these young men because almost all the men we see are young. Right. We see a few older, but there's a lot of young men. And it's this sense of why is right. this my lot? Yeah. You know, he goes through very Job-like trials in his own small little story of everything being stripped away from him. Yeah. And for what? Yeah. Like, to what end? Why did you pick me? Yeah. Why am I going through this? What is the point? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's very quietly done. And that I, I really appreciated sort of the understated approach. To this film. Yeah. The two words that kept ringing in my mind after, as I was leaving the theater, were just quiet, quietly devastating.
1: Yeah. And even the movie isn't really that quiet. I mean, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of explosions, there's a lot of terrible things that you see. But I understand exactly what you're saying. Because the camera focuses so tightly on these two people, it just lends itself to a much more cocoon structure. In a sense, you know, you have this this cocoon of humanity, and and you're running alongside these these people in, in unimaginable conditions. Unlike most most other war movies that are sprawling and epic and and huge, this one feels small,
0: and that's
1: too. I think that's what makes the movie work, honestly. Yeah,
0: because yeah, I, I kept thinking about it in contrast to something like Saving Private Ryan, right? Where the movie opens on hundreds and thousands of men in a chaotic, explosive, twenty-minute-long scene of mass carnage, whereas this film opens on a man sleeping in a quiet field, you know, and ends and just right with a man sitting quietly in a field. It was a great
1: mirror image, you know, of, of each other, just. That, that gives chills to me, actually. One of the things, and we got to talk about the, the, the movie's cinematic conceit, yeah. right? One of the things that, that I think the movie does really well and brings home that sense of intimacy and brings you really onto the, the field of battle is the fact that it's done essentially with this single cut. You know, the, yeah. there's a single camera, supposedly. You never it feels a lot like I don't know if you've ever seen this movie but but Alfred Hitchcock's Rope? No, I never saw Rope. You got to see Rope. It's great. But it's it's essentially a single cut and you're following these guys all throughout the war so you you are there with them. It's almost like you're following them with your
0: eyes. Right.
1: And uh it's I think it was really effective
0: for me. Yeah, I mean it I thought it did a there are a couple of moments where you just think, "How are they following in this way mm. with this single tracking shot across the way?" Like there, there were moments where it almost felt as though they were showing off with the continued tracking, uh, and yet it didn't. It didn't pull me so far out of it that I I was bothered by it. I right. thought the fact, to your point, that it kind of cocoons you mm. into their story and never falters. Yeah, that you get lost in their faces and in their reactions because sometimes the camera is behind them and you can see where they're headed. But then a lot of times the camera has swung around in front of them and you're watching their reactions right. to what's coming right. at them. And so you feel a bit like, Oh, I can't see what's going on. And that's maybe the sense they have based on what's going on in the scene um, and really lends itself to some really good, gorgeous visuals. You know, the scene where he's fleeing from this burned skeleton of a town, fleeing from German soldiers and leaps off of the bridge into the roaring river was just a gorgeous shot. It was
1: really, it was really riveting. And I I think that that sequence right there, that's one of the most telling things and one of the ways that, that this movie works so well is... You see the soldier, you know, our, the the soldier we've been following this entire time, the British soldier. Look, and he sees another soldier in silhouette behind all the burning buildings. Yeah, and you can see, you can feel the confusion that both of them are feeling. Is this an enemy? Is this a friend? Yeah. And all of a sudden, the German soldier realizes enemy and starts firing at the at the guy, and it it, it brings to you know, I've never been in a battle situation, obviously. It brings to to life the idea of how confusing, how chaotic that, that situation would be and, and right. how weird it would be to try to navigate a situation like that.
0: Yeah, it made it feel very personal. It made it, without putting you in a point of view shot, a la Hardcore Henry, it made you almost feel as though you were getting their point of view. Right. In that scene as and with as the camera would s- speed up to keep up with them as they run in panic or slow down as they meander through a quiet little meadow and or sort of creep as they were exploring unknown structures and whatnot. It was it was really an effective creative choice. Yeah. To do that. I wasn't quite uh, I was intrigued by the idea, but how is this going to play out? And uh, very creatively done, the way they even are able to maintain the feel of the camera following and following the entire journey, even though, you know, it's a two hour movie and it's a nine hour, (laughs) you know, eight hour journey. Yeah. Uh, The creative way they got through time at at one moment. Um, Yeah, I really appreciated the the way the medium really contributed to the storytelling yeah. in this movie.
1: Yeah, I, I think it also brought to me the horrors of war a lot more. Even in, as intimate as it was, as quiet as you say it was, there was a lot of terrible stuff that you see. Again, I sort of contrast it with, with Dunkirk. It it almost feels like these are mirror images of each other in that they're totally opposite and yet somehow <laughs> the same. You know, it's... um Dunkirk is PG thirteen. You see definitely a lot of a lot of stuff, warlike stuff, but it, it keeps a remove from it all. Nineteen seventeen, it takes you right into the trenches where you see bodies, you see blood, you see bloated corpses, you see just a lot of terrible stuff. I don't know if I've seen a movie that dealt with death so graphically in a way.
0: As since I, I watched the killing fields, you know, I have to say this was something I was talking about with uh, my wife prior to the podcast um, is that I think you're right and also totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and, and, and not like in an attacking way <laughs> because there are certainly very disquieting right images that we see, but it felt so restrained yeah At overall it wasn't a movie that wanted to viscerally and visually shred the human body the right. way a lot of war movies you know a, a Save and private ryan among yeah. them have done in the past or a hacksaw ridge have done in the past you don't see a lot of violent destruction of humanity you see a lot of carnage after the fact correct and that's that to me made it emotionally it was more, more devastating poignant and yeah. poignant yeah. and so even though it wasn't as visually disturbing yeah. in a way that almost numbs you yeah. to the overall depth of the problem the way i think overly graphic violence can yeah. the fact that it was observing in 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 intimate yet restrained ways the bodies the death the, the death yeah. that had occurred um, made it disquieting at a deeper level yeah. and in a quieter way. Yeah.
1: it's It's interesting because I think you and I had both the same reaction and a completely different reaction because for me, for me, like you're absolutely right. You don't see a lot of people dying. You see a few people die, but mostly you just see death. Right. And... For me, I think that, that seeing that death all around was was far more disturbing in some ways than, right. than even a Saving Private Ryan. And I don't know whether that's because I've seen so many movies and, you know, I review these horror movies where you see these terrible things done to the human body. So you sort of become desensitized to it. When you, When you see these bodies and pair that with the one-cut technique that they use throughout... You're looking at it. It does feel like you're looking at it more through the soldier's eyes, through that, through that, almost naively looking at all the horrors around you. Um, and because of that, it, it really did. I think you used the word disquieting. It felt just so disturbing to me to to think about. It struck me. I think that that all the carnage that we see, it. It emphasized again the, the inhumanity of the right. war because this was just meat laying on the ground. These were people right. who became meat, and
0: it's really bothersome. Really bothersome. Right? Yeah, I think oftentimes the graphic evisceration of body on screen can distract. Can distract the mind. Because your mind is just trying to grapple with, oh right. my gosh, I just saw a limb explode, right? Flop around, head, you know, whatever, right? That you you it 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 distracts you from the deeper yeah. point of a soul, yeah, you know, perishing, yeah. And 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 so this where most of the observation of death happened in quiet moments. It wasn't most of the observation of death was not with bombs exploding or guns firing but was the aftermath as we talked about and that i felt allowed you to to soak in that disturbing removal of soul yeah because there should be life there should be sound there should be uh humanity in the eyes and limbs of these bodies and yet there's not right right you
1: have this sense of here is something that was something Right. and and you just have it in past tense and and i think that that again they do it in a way to emphasize the horror and the hopelessness and and just sort of the meaninglessness of the whole conflict and thus it emphasizes the the quiet heroism and the call to duty that you see in these in these soldiers
0: yeah um so my final thought was as <laughs> in terms of the storytelling choices i liked and really appreciated it and saw the purpose of almost all of them. The one that sort of surprised me that they didn't do anything with it um, was—it seemed like—and and, and it kind of it ties into the graphicness because I thought this was probably the most graphic scene in the movie. Was right after the soldier, one of the soldiers, got the barbed wire stuck into oh, his yeah. palm. Oh you know? yeah, oh yeah. You're like, oh, that's painful. That stinks. And then he he hasn't bandaged it yet. And then they they fall down into this little sloggy, muddy pit. Yep. yep. And he realizes he's jumped over the ledge. He lands down. He's next to a dead body that's got an open, gaping wound in it. And he tries to shy away from it. But then the other guy comes in over the top and knocks him into it. And his hand Six goes inches into the corpse. Into the corpse. And I was like, oh, he's going to get infected. He's going to be... You know, this is going to be something we deal with. They obviously didn't have time to do that with the conceit of the movie, happen, everything happening in eight or nine hours. Um, but I thought that that would be addressed a little bit more. But they just sort of – because it seems so purposeful, right? Yeah. The, the barbed wire sticking in his hand, him removing it, and then just a minute later getting it stuck inside of a rotting corpse. Oh. I thought this is going to come back to get him. Well,
1: I, I, honestly, Maybe I thought about still, it the
0: entire yeah. movie. I yeah. really did. I thought, oh, man.
1: That – But –
0: Maybe it was ultimately just more of a metaphor of how they themselves were sort of plunging into death. Yeah. Well and into I into th- Gehenna as quoted by Colin Firth.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that that it leaves you with a lingering sense of unease, you know. If you if you know about war, you know about this war, you know about how what a what a tragic uh toll that disease itself took you know it, it, there's this uncertainty that you know he's probably not going to be feeling the effects of the of the corpse meat for another eight or nine hours of course i've never
0: i've never really touched corpse meat so i don't know i don't know how, how long fast would fast yeah. travel and he'd start to feel the effects but they don't they don't give any nod to it by the end Nope. but was, i was left the wondering if he gets to die it, but i did yeah, i didn't believe that. Like, he's probably gonna die <laughs> that was 1917 uh, i'm assuming you've seen it we'd love to hear your thoughts on it how since it you cruised through all the spoilers so. as a war movie uh or just the filmmaking of it in general of course you can always catch up with us on twitter i'm at jake underscore roberson i'm at ac paul but now it's time for rank geeks Here we are on Rank Geeks, Two Smelly Nerds, talking about the things Speak we like. Speak for yourself. Like. Um, or appreciate. <laughs> or maybe, appreciate. In this sense, more than like. Uh, there's a couple on here that I could say I legitimately liked. Others are, would be, I would say, are more that I appreciate something You know what? About I think
1: them. I think I like war movies better than you do.
0: I think you do. Yeah. Yeah. I Again, I went through a period where I probably liked them more than you did. Yeah. Where I was just all about it, but... Where I'm at now, I, I tend to not like them as much as I may appreciate them. So, um, we are ranking our favorite war movies. That's that's how I approached it, at least. Yeah. I tried to find the ones that I enjoyed somewhat. <laughs> um, and so, we'll see what Paul thinks of my list. I don't like it, I'm sure. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Oh, you know
1: what? Let me think here. You know what? I'll... Oh... Let me start.
0: I'll start. Right. Number five on your list, Senor Paul. Okay, well, first.
1: First, because yeah. I always have to have a preamble and an excuse for That's why right. I didn't do certain things. I did not rank 1917 on this list, although it might have made it. In fact, I, I think it probably would have. It was my number one movie of 2019, um, but it didn't make this list. I also was really trying to figure out. Well, because you it was felt too like we to talk about it. it was yeah. too soon. Yeah, it was to too soon. I didn't want it. to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated a lot about this movie, but I just didn't want to rank it. So, I just didn't want to. Didn't want to, Jake. <laughs> didn't want to. And then I also it's had, disrespectful, by the way. <laughs> I also had a struggle trying to decide what exactly a war movie is. Yeah. Like Casablanca takes place during World War II. Sure. But you don't see any soldiers actually fighting on the battlefield. Sound of music. (laughs) Sound of music. (laughs) Schindler's List. You have all these... I would have counted that. Yeah, yeah, but see, you don't really see it. You see the inside of a concentration camp. But So, and Schindler's List is one of my favorite movies, and I decided not to do that. I went just straight for good old-fashioned war, battles,
0: death. All right. That's what I decided. So, number five... Braveheart. Braveheart. An older, non American war.
1: An older, non American war. And I almost forgot about it for that reason, actually. Right. So, but it, it so like, takes oh, yeah, s- it's,
0: it's a war. A
1: Scottish, <laughs> British, British war. Exactly. There's exactly. warlords in there. Braveheart has long been actually one of my favorite movies. I dig that movie for some reason. I think, and I think it's for one speech that I've repeated how many times on this podcast. I'm not even going to say I'm not it again. Counting. I'm not even going to say it again, but first, but the idea movie I ever saw, yeah, it was not my first <laughs> R-rated movie, but but yeah, it, it it talks a lot about just just fighting for something that you believe in, the ability to believe in something that seems a little bit hopeless. It has um, Mel Gibson before scandals sort of took <laughs> him down. It has people with swords. It has people with horses. It's it's kind of cool. People I really with... like it. Great accents. People with great accents. (laughs) Still still
0: has my favorite one of my favorite, if not my all time favorite F word. (laughs) When the Irish guy says it.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, the Irish guy. Like you can
0: almost say it Mm. on air because it it's you
1: you can barely understand it. But we'll we'll
0: skip that because we want a Dorito sponsorship. (laughs) That's right. All right, number five. Did you have anything more? No, I, that? Right. that was it. I, I could quote all day from from. Freedom! Braveheart. Freedom! Number five on my list is from 1987. 1987. Yeah, that's right. In oldie. Uh, it's directed by Stanley Kubrick. I'd like to lead Paul along to uh, these. Gotcha. This um, this was, I think, outside of Braveheart, which was the first R-rated movie. I saw. This was one of the first... R-rated war movies outside of Braveheart that I ever watched. Um, but I was introduced to it. Did I say the title yet? No, I didn't. No, you didn't. I was introduced to it because I know one it of is. my friends as a freshman in high school had a speech from this movie as an audio file on his fancy new iPod. <laughs> and we would listen to it. Like on the way to basketball games. And it makes no sense because it is really not motivational. But I think we just thought it was funny. <laughs> and if, you're, if you like Paul have not – if you unlike Paul have not gathered what movie I'm talking about, it's Full Metal Jacket. Um, Full Metal Jacket was one for me where this was right on the cusp as I was really coming into appreciating war movies. Um, but I think maybe it helped put a, a cynical edge on my appreciation of those war movies because it's a very cynical movie. And it's very it's dark. It's a very cynical movie. And um, still I think about the way the movie ends. Uh, this isn't really a spoiler alert because it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. Except that you have these American soldiers walking through this hellacious Vietnamese landscape. And then they start singing the Mickey Mouse song. Uh, song, right? That's what it's, Is that what it's called? I don't think it's the, Mickey, it the Mouse Mickey Mouse Is it the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, Clubhouse song? Maybe. Or I, not Clubhouse I don't remember or it. I don't Mouse remember Clu- it. What, the Mouseketeers? What? it? Do you remember the song? M I C K E Y M O C K Yeah, yeah, that's the Mickey Mouse Club. Okay, there we go. and and just the melancholy, the the destruction of innocence in these men for again another seemingly pointless war. It was one that maybe there was a purpose for the Vietnamese, but I think largely the American imagination struggled with why to be involved in this war. And so just observing these young men thrown in as the world is vastly different and more information, more cynicism, there's not this, to your point from earlier, there's not this right. black and white heroism yeah. and um, we see the destruction even our, you know, the your own team can reap right. on you, so... Yeah, no, it was number five. Yeah,
1: it, and I'll be honest, I really hated that movie. I really hated that movie. I think in part because it did feel so cynical. You know, the other big Vietnam, Vietnamese, Vietnam War movie that came around that time was Platoon, mm-hmm. Oliver Stone's Platoon, and that almost made my list. It was also cynical, but I think that there was just sort of this this sadness that went along with it. I think that the it was more emotionally powerful for me Stanley Kubrick for whatever reason he is a chilly director and, really is. and I could not I could not sink into the story I could not really feel that that sense of emotion I could appreciate it but it was so cynical and so harsh and so bleak in so many ways that I I just never really liked it and I could understand the points that he was trying to make um and I agree with some of those points in terms of like how war, how how it can twist somebody's soul and mind. Um, but man, it was a hard slog for me to get through.
0: Yeah, and this is a funny one for us to flip on because typically you have more appreciation for Kubrick than I do. Yeah, yeah, 2001. Space Ups.
1: <laughs> but you know, I think that that was meant to be chilly, I think. And, and for me, I don't know. And maybe this gets to... How we're very different when we when we observe these things. I think that that for me, emotion is a big thing going right. into these war movies. And so if you if you keep that emotion at arm's distance, I'm not going to resonate with it as much. Right,
0: and that's that's really the point of exactly. Full Metal Jacket. Exactly. I think Kubrick wanted you to feel dehumanized, uh, and or in your connection, right. lack of connection, right, to the characters, right. Um, by giving you one to root for in a sad way and then yeah. completely devastating him emotionally yeah. and physically and still remaining at an arm's length yeah. as a movie director. So Yeah, to me
1: it almost felt like a saw movie, you know, mm-hmm. where where you just feel that that horrific callousness toward everything yeah. that you see in a way. So number four for you, Paul. Ironically enough, I have number four. Another war movie with a catchy little ditty. With a catchy little ditty.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Wrong. I'm just <laughs> Not really a war movie. <laughs> Not really a war. A movie. war of vanity, perhaps. <laughs> Bridge over the River Kwai. Have Bridge over see? the. I have seen Bridge over the River Kwai. Yeah,
1: it, uh, for me, I really dig this movie. I think it's Alec Guinness in one of his very best roles. It's
0: old. It's Crotchety, it's creaky, <laughs> just really like me. Long. <laughs> it's dry, but I think it makes it's... you parched. <laughs> yeah,
1: it it has a different vibe than than almost any other horror movie that, or war <laughs> movie that I really considered. Yeah, it does. Um, and it sort of goes in two stages, right? You have you have the British soldiers being marched into this into this uh, prisoner of war camp, being ordered to to build this bridge, and You have sort of the heroism of the Allaghenis character as he stands up to the the Japanese power structure there. And then all of a sudden he gets on board and builds the bridge and he wants those British soldiers to build it the very best they can. (laughs) And he realizes, wait, I really want to save this bridge. But the people who... I've been fighting for all this time. They want to blow it up, and I, I really love that moral dilemma that he has in the end. I think it's just
0: great. Uh, this one was one that uh, I did see, and I did appreciate. I, I I wouldn't again say that I enjoyed it, but not like, but more on just the sort of from a movie making perspective. It ended up being a little bit too long and dry for my taste. Uh, without, it's very British. It's very British. And, and th- it the is funny long. thing is that it wasn't even appreciated by the Brits. It was very controversial yeah. when it came out, particularly his motivation or t- the twisting of it. Yeah, and,
1: no, and I, I think that, that that's one of the things that I love about it is that if you, it lends itself to repeated viewings because because I think that it really is in, in much more, it's much more of a psychological drama than a, than a war drama in a certain way. How people react to certain things, not just war, but their own creations, how right. they react to, you know, yeah, it's
0: personal pride. Exactly. And communal connection. Number four for me, from 2016, directed by somebody you probably never heard of named Gareth Edwards. Good old Gareth. Uh, it is Rogue One, a Star Wars <laughs> story.
1: I was wondering how long it was going to be before we slipped into this Paul world. was
0: hopeful when I came out with Full Metal Jacket out of the gate. But then we never specified fictional versus real. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But Rogue One, for my money, is a very effective war film um, that just happens to be set in the Star Wars universe. But you have your rebels and your empire, and they are at war with one another. <laughs> And here is this mission, this impossible mission being undertaken into enemy territory, this incursion. And it feels like a war movie, so- more, almost more than it does a Star Wars film. And I thought, and I thought this after I watched it, was it didn't, only in moments did it feel like a Star Wars film. But overall, this felt like a really effective war movie. It felt like a semi-effective war movie. So, so does
1: this mean that Rogue One is your favorite Star Wars movie? Because there's it's war there. in the
0: name. Yeah, it's
1: up there. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it might be.
1: I can't go with that. That's just loony, Dave. I, I just. But can't. why is it
0: not an effective war movie? Oh, it's it's a semi-effective one. Why is it only semi-effective? Well, because I just don't like it as much. <laughs> you but know is that it, is that flavored by your feelings about how it fits into the Star Wars universe or how it feels or doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie more than it is about whether or now, not it's an effective war movie? Here, here is
1: my take. Even as you were talking about it, I, I was thinking about War Rogue One, sort of trying to, to piece it all together in my brain, remember all of it. And, I, and my thought was, after I had played it through, is, you know, I wish I liked that movie better. Yeah. Because I think that when I walked out, I was more impressed than I was, it doesn't stick with you. Like, I a lot of agree. the movies that, 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 for me, a lot of the movies stick with you. Sometimes they haunt you. Sometimes they inspire you. Blah, 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 blah. Rogue One felt like a very nice confection hmm. in the moment.
0: But it didn't really stick with me. Sure, it may not have the true emotional depth of many of other uh, others on this list, um, but if you think about it, Mads Mickelson's character, yes, yeah. no, engineer, he was... he's really sort of like a comp to Alec Guinness's character from *The Bridge yeah, of Spies*, where that. he's he's taken in by the enemy and forced to build something against his will. And you could argue he's that. an amazing engineer; he has to do a good job or else. There could be other repercussions, and yet he finds a way to build in an explosive reaction that ultimately causes the demise of yeah. said engineered product.
1: Yeah, you know, the other thing is I thought, thought that it was a little bit too neat. I, I agree. Mads Mikkelsen, he's great in everything that he does, and this was one of the rare chances that he had to play a good guy, and I liked that, <laughs> but... There was something about it that just felt a little too neat, especially toward the end. It felt really rushed. It felt like they were pushing into, into Star Wars New Hope. It felt it it let me down. Hmm. It let me down. It was a fine movie. It was a good movie in some respects, but it could have been so much more.
0: I disagree. I think it was what it needed to be. It needed to be this tighter, linear more linear, more neat. A little war story. No, yeah, you're wrong. So there you go. You're wrong. All right, number three for you, Paul. Number three for me, Saving Private Ryan. Fascinating. Since although this movie's been out for over twenty years, you only recently watched it within the last year.
1: I only recently watched it within the last year, and I was I was struck by. I already mentioned it a little bit earlier. It felt like a, a kind of a nineteen seventeen type of a movie in a way, in which you're focused in on this very tight group of guys as they're trying to to do this very well-defined mission, take private, or find Private Ryan and get him home to his family. And it brings that sense of humanity to to an otherwise really horrific war movie. And yeah, that first scene is really, really bloody. Again, I, I think that that it emphasized how bad war can be, and yet sort of the the quiet moments of heroism
0: that take place there. You know, it's
1: a Steven Spielberg did it, right? Yes.
0: I think it might be one of Steven Spielberg's best. Yeah. It's a, it's a well-made flick. Uh, we've talked about it at length elsewhere when we did our, so go back and listen to that episode. I think the only thing I'll say, because this segues into my number three on my list is that I, although I have not yet seen Dunkirk, I actually have it in the house right now. I will be watching it soon. Um, I think, to your point about the comps between Saving Private Ryan in 1917, I would uh, – or or between 1917 and Dunkirk, I would say that they're there um, in that they do – they're doing the same thing but in a very different way in that 1917 deals with like – connecting to humanity in the midst of a completely meaningless war. Whereas Saving Private Ryan sort of deals with, we have a very purposeful war with a very important goal. And can we be distracted by humanity when we like by one person's life, when we have this huge, right, right. Multi-million life. There's this goal? ethical tension there that I really appreciated. Yeah. And so it's like, whereas 1917 was appreciating how that human connection Helped you survive in the midst of a meaningless war. Saving Private Ryan was that sort of asking that question of how do we maintain those connections in the midst of what is a meaningful right. war. Right. And so they're sort of exploring the same concept from different sides of the ethical fence. Yeah, um, no, I agree. And the segue is that 1917 is number thir- three. <laughs> <laughs> number number third. third. Number is third. number three on my list. Even though I just seen it, I just saw it. Um, I still really appreciated this movie in ways I didn't expect. I appreciated its understated nature. I appreciated its hyper-focus on the humanity in the midst of this horrific situation. I appreciated the way it didn't need to eviscerate everybody right. in sight and force you to watch it. Right. And, and the way that it just quietly explored the humanity of really one guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, and... Yeah,
1: and and I, I think that we've we've already talked at length about yeah, 1917. Just but if you want to hear us talk about 1917. But whenever I think about the movie, I always think of that famous Winston Churchill quote, which I used in in my review of the of the movie. You know, when you're going through hell, keep going. And this is an example of a really hellacious environment, and the only thing you can do is keep going. Keep going. And uh, you know, just that. Just that ability. You know, the thing about 1917 to me is that it is sort of inspiring to me because I think that sometimes you can... Even in just our very much... Our, our lives are much better than what they had in 1917. But you can still feel the drain, the, the tug of just life sometimes. All the stuff that you have to do, all the stuff that you have to plow through, the idea of watching this guy push through stuff that's a thousand times worse than you're dealing with to overcome such incredible obstacles and keep pushing to keep going that inspires me in my own workaday world some sometimes where you just sort of say listen we're in a tough spot here but you got to keep going
0: yep all right, Paul, number two.
1: Oh, number two. See, I'm still trying to decide,
0: actually. Oh, no, you're still... Yeah, man,
1: so uh, you know what? I think I'm just going to move on to this one because it does make a nice little... a nice little counterpoint to my 1917. my children pounding Yeah, yeah. Um, Dunkirk. 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 It is, in some ways, the polar opposite of 1917 in that it still is a fairly intimate story. Um it takes place in world war ii instead of world war one so you have a lot more heroism it as we talked about it has like three separate timelines you're talking about you know a week a day an hour and it takes place on the ground on the sea and in the air so you see all these different elements sort of strung together in a very christopher nolan way uh, that's really tightly stitched together um it's a while 1917 feels intimate and uh, close and quiet in a way where you feel like you, you're you taking every step, Dunkirk drives. It just goes boom, 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 boom. It is as tightly as constructed of a movie as I've seen in the last, what, five years? Um, and I think it's it's magnified by... Hans Zimmer's when you watch it you'll hear Hans Zimmer's um score that just sort of drives the point home it, you just end up sitting on the edge of your seat during the entire movie and it's only 90 minutes long i mean Who they is tell this, this this spectacular war movie that's really taut tight 90 minutes man it's really well
0: done yeah looking forward to it and a in in a curious way from a cinematic perspective more so than a
1: yeah and, and it would be interesting to talk about it after you watch it because i think that that i'm i was so enamored with the structure that i think you might have a better feel for the story in some ways mm-hmm. like i think that that i just really loved the pacing of it everything that they did the humanity sort of gets a little bit lost in some ways for me now 2 years in the rear view mirror. So I'll be interested
0: to hear what you have to say about it once you watch it. There you go. Number two on my list is interesting and notable for the fact that I have two movies on my list that have the number 17 in them. And that is because number two on my list is from 1953, Paul, directed by Billy Wilder, and it is Stalag 17. Oh, I've never seen it. Never seen it. No. Stalag 17 is one that's – I I, I wrestled with it because I'm not quite sure how I feel overall about making war uh, funny. Right. But I think what it – I think why it still ended up at number two on my list and why I think I'm okay with the concept is it's not making war funny as much as finding levity in the midst of these horrific circumstances as – a coping mechanism right. i think as much for the audience as for the characters in it because stalag 17 is a dramedy about world war ii in a prison camp um and this guy who just messes with the germans from inside this prison camp mm-hmm. stalag 17 and the relationships between the soldiers, as well as their the the prison guards and those that are around, um, it's a legitimately funny movie. Yeah, uh, but also you know deals with prisoner of war camps, which are not a funny topic. Yeah, and it, it manages to find some moments of seriousness in it. This is one I have not rewatched in a while, so I would be curious to see how I react to it now versus how I reacted to it when I originally watched it. But boy, I remember laughing quite a bit in this film, but also thinking this is also a a well made movie and doesn't just feel it's not it's not slapstick to the point of becoming silly.
1: Right, right, right. That we feel that tension sometimes with these with these really well crafted movies that take place and deal with some really horrific things. You know, the two movies that I think of when you talk about Stalag Seventeen, Life is Beautiful. I don't know mm. if you ever saw I that. Did. Yep. That was really controversial at the time because, of course, it deals with a concentration camp, a father and a son in a concentration camp, right. and him and the father making the camp a game. And I know that a lot of people really were repelled by that whole idea. For me, it worked. I
0: think a little bit better. The because other one you saw it as a product of necessity of a father trying to have mercy on his son. Right. Exactly. Of saying, I. I- I don't know if I can subject him to the true horror of this.
1: Well, like, but any can we survive
0: it? Yeah, in in a creative way.
1: Any dad is going to try to protect his children from the worst of what can happen, and I think that that's it. It really honors fatherhood um, rather than minimizing the horrors of of concentration camp. For me, it really worked. And, and another movie that really worked that I forgot all about until right this very moment. moment Jojo Rabbit, Jojo Rabbit, one of the best movies this year, uh, also has made some people feel a little uncomfortable because the main star of it is this little Nazi wannabe who has an imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler. You right. know? Um, it turns out to be very funny, incredibly poignant, and, and, and deeply moving. I think without minimizing any of the any of the horrors of the Nazi regime, right. um, it does make light of some aspects of it. And, but I think it works. I think yeah. it works.
0: There you go, number one for you, Paul. Oh
1: yeah, it's number one for me. <laughs> this is going to go against everything that I've said, really. Perfect. Why I, I like love when you do that. war movies, the emotion. This is a rather chilly but very compelling war movie. Apocalypse Now. Mm. It. And like like you install Stalag seventeen, I haven't seen Apocalypse Now since I was probably twenty two. Yeah, but I still remember so much of that movie. You know, that just the just the freaky atmosphere that Francis Ford Coppola sort of brings to the table in this one. Marlon Brando, when he could still act, you had uh, Martin Sheen going his full on crazy self. It was. A deeply disturbing, deeply affecting uh, masterpiece of a movie, you know, artistically. I think that it it really worked as far as this visual impressive piece of cinema even though it's really bothersome.
0: Yeah, that was one that when I was kind of making my way through different war movies maybe in my phase of uh, watching more of that content that I never got to before I sort of moved out of that phase. Yeah. And and now I think about it, and I think I would probably appreciate the, you would. the what this movie was doing, but it's not one that I want to watch yeah, in my free time.
1: Man, oh man, it is hard to watch. It really is just very creepy, but it talks a little bit. All the reasons that I hated Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. They're in apocalypse now, right you know, just sort of how how this this war and this terribleness that's that's in that's endemic to war really um it can twist the soul and mind and heart of people, and you see that all over the place in this movie, and it's it's very
0: disturbing, and I thought it was pretty great, yeah <laughs> number one for me from two thousand and three. Directed by Peter Jackson. <laughs> Paul just showed me a piece of paper that he literally wrote on before the show. We have not swapped lists. And he got it. He said, I think I know one of yours. And I said, I bet you don't. But he sure did. Here he is, scribbled on his paper. L-O-T-R, Return of the King. I
1: knew it. I knew it. And especially as soon as I heard Rogue One, I thought, oh. Uh, you know, I got I was this right. bag.
0: How did you know it before you heard Rogue One? Just because I've talked at length about my love of Star Wars?
1: No, no, no. I, I think that it was because, okay, so I, I, Jake is Lord not going to be able to stay in the world of reality during, <laughs> during this this whole exercise. Where is he going to go? And I thought, of course, Lord of the Rings. Lord
0: of the Rings. And it's fitting, too. It, it's, I um, As you'll hear after you listen to the theme music of this show as the song ends, you'll hear a little aside Paul and I had. It fits to me a bit with uh 1917. I saw mm-hmm. echoes mm-hmm. of Tolkien's experiences that were instilled into Lord of the Rings I found <laughs> in nineteen seventeen. Um but for me, uh yeah, Lord of the Rings is such a transformative series. The movies came out as I was coming of age and um, I actually struggled a little bit. I almost put two towers in here because two towers, I think, has the better war scene. Yes, it does. if we were doing best agree. war scenes, then I go with two towers and yeah. the Battle of Helm's Deep. The Battle of Helm's Deep, it's classic. It's classic, and it still holds up. It looks Ooh, great when so other good. things in Lord of the Rings, like certain scenes, even in don't Return of the King, don't be saying Kings, that. Don't don't be hold that. up. No, <laughs> like Legolas trunk sliding down. <laughs> The big elephant. That doesn't hold up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. But there are so many epic war moments in Return of the King. Yeah, From Aragorn's speech at the Black Gate to Sam and Frodo's private mission to the mountain and sort of that resolve they have of being disconnected from a war but being at the very heart of it. Um, The banding together of disparate allies and Tentative allies and just the the big bombastic and even even the Fallout. See, it's I find it really interesting,
1: even though I knew you were gonna pick it. I find it really interesting knowing your your leanings.
0: This is a pretty rah-rah war movie. This this in some ways glamorizes war. It certainly does in a way. I think what helps this one for me is the the rich the rich metaphors and similes and thematic elements that Tolkien infused you know of course it's not a straight allegory mm. but the the he the way he saw and dealt with the horrors of war and the horrors of mankind and evil, the the wrestling between the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and the way he incorporated that into Lord of the Rings, I've always been able to see pers- at a personal level those connections and see it as a very uh, beyond the physical realm right. take on warfare and good and evil. And so the fact, you know, that it's that it's that, that it to me I see the deeper symbolism that Tolkien was weaving into it and and finding that triumph in the human like he found, I think this was the way he coped with World War One, this deep, disturbing, meaningless evil of war, he found that hope of a deeper, a greater reality infused into mankind Helping one another because of that greater reality. And he wrote that out, almost like therapy for himself, into this. And I think it still resonates. That's why I think Lord of the Rings still resonates. And that's why the raw raw works for me because I feel it at a personal level, right. not a war level. Like, yeah, this means we should go fight and kill people. It's like, no, I can overcome evil through perseverance, yeah. through hope, through clinging on to, you know, my fellow man as imperfect and fallible as he is, we can pull each other through. Just like
1: 1917. And, and you know, it, it is interesting because I think one of the fascinating things about about these war movies is that it, it forces us to hold a paradox. Many of these movies force you to hold a paradox where you're saying, war is stupid, war is silly. Why do we not have a better way to solve our problems than killing each other, right? I mean, I, right. Think, I think everybody would say this is not a perfect solution for the world's problems. At the same time, you hold in your other hand the sense there are things worth fighting for. There are things worth preserving. There are things that we need to do to, to push through you know, there are horrors that we need to push through for a greater end, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that sometimes these war movies can drive home, that that even in the midst of these horrors, even in the midst of these terrible, miserable, unimaginably awful existences, that if you push through, if you persevere, if you continue to hold to what you value and what you prize and what you treasure something good can still come out of it
0: yeah so there you have it our list of top five favorite war movies (laughs) do you have questions do you have concerns with our list do you like me are you sitting there wondering if i should have bumped out rogue one and included (laughs) mulan instead
1: mulan
0: because mulan is also a fantastic war movie oh my goodness Hit us up on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Now it's time for the most least important thing. Here we are the most least important thing, the place where we like to... Root around in the dirt and craft massive mountains of knowledge and insight. <laughs> yeah,
1: or come up to massive
0: mu- mountains of knowledge and insight with our, mag- our telescope reversed so it looks really tiny. And we say, look, that is chump change. <laughs> Paul, what do you got for us today?
1: All right. Well, speaking of wars, I am going to talk about one that likely is now in our rear view mirror, a war on Jeopardy.
0: A war on Jeopardy. The
1: greatest Jeopardy player of all time. The Tournament of Champions. Three classic victors battling it out for $1 million over the course of who knows how many nights. A couple of games. Uh, (laughs) So I I actually, my cubicle in my day job is set beside an actual one-time Jeopardy contestant. That's right. So I hear a lot about Jeopardy over the course of a day. A lot about Jeopardy, and it was interesting because he sent me some stuff about this this big Tournament of Champions. Kyle Adams, if you're listening, thank you for this. I, I am now using you for our most least important thing.
0: You should but feel you, honored or really, really disparaged. Yeah. There's
1: there's this Reddit thing where where all these all these huge Jeopardy fans get together and talk about Jeopardy, mm-hmm. and for them, it is not the most least important thing. It is the most most important thing. <laughs> one of my favorite things that, that one of one of these these Jeopardy super fans said was, "Is this the way normal people feel when there's like a Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And and I just think it's interesting that the passion that that some of these things sort of." they they inspire and i totally dig jeopardy i mean i'm as trivial a person as as you will find i am very trivial as you know <laughs> but but the 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 heart that these people put into to the fandom i think is just fascinating and and really kind of cool
0: yeah and i think it is it is neat it is funny because there are my own things that i get really passionate about typically yeah. sports yeah. like football because i played it i understand it I appreciate the strategy and all that that go, gets involved. Jeopardy! was never a thing in my house growing mm. up. So I've even now as an adult, I've only seen maybe four or five episodes yeah. in my lifetime. I enjoy it. I appreciate it. Uh, Celebrity Jeopardy! is my favorite. Not, <laughs> not the Celebrity Jeopardy! that's on TV, but the SNL Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> oh, no! With Will Farrell <laughs> and Norm MacDonald and others. But... Um no, I I've gained a new appreciation for it because Kyle is a friend of mine yeah. as well. We play a lot of basketball and frisbee together and so we talk about it and I rib him about it and um he's smarter than both of us. And Plus I even got other to, you know, I even got to clue him in on a little Jeopardy trivia about this Tournament of Champions. No way. Because apparently you guys know listening to this, if you've been into Jeopardy, you know who won already. We're recording this right. before right. The tr- it's happened. My bet is Ken Jennings. Um, That's my bet. But you're talking about betting is appropriate because apparently there may have been a leak. What? Because all of a sudden, apparently there's a big over... Some of it happens here in the US, but particularly overseas, there's a big gambling scene based around pre-recorded TV. And Mm, uh, they're always looking... They're always trying to weed out... Leaks and yeah. they've learned to try, you know, have a pretty decent system for identifying when leaks happen. And so, not long, you know, maybe just a week or two before the Tournament of Champions, all of a sudden these massive bets started pouring in on one of the players. And so, they're pretty sure we'll see if it's a false flag uh, very interesting, or an but... actual leak after the fact. Because most of the reporting is declining to say who those bets oh, were on, gotcha. to maintain, you know, gotcha. the surprise.
1: So you can't tell me whether Ken Jennings is like.
0: I don't know. I didn't mm-hmm. go. I decided not to go that deep into it. So we'll see. Uh, that's a good one. All right. No, my most least important thing this time is that at the Consumer Electronics Show, we finally got new information on the Avatar sequels. <laughs>
1: Does anyone really care? You know, that over that's a, a decade later. That's, that would be another movie that
0: could have qualified for your list, Avatar. There, there was the beginning of a war. The beginning of a war? Yeah. Um, I, I cannot... It is so funny to me, Avatars, the sequels, they were greenlit immediately after that was such a huge blockbuster success in 2009. Here we are in 2020, and James Cameron just released Concept Art. At the Consumer Electronics Show. Not just concept art for a movie that is still two years away in late 2021, but they also unveiled a Pandora-inspired Mercedes-Benz concept car. (laughs) And I'm just like, focus, man. You got some movies to make. What are you doing with this Mercedes-Benz concept car? And the oh, description of the car man. is just absolutely ridiculous. Have you seen this? Oh, I've seen the picture, yeah. You saw the picture of it. It it's a cool concept. Car. It's a, I would have It's a cool concept car, too. but it's absolutely ridiculous. They're like, uh here, here's their description of it. Has organic design language <laughs> and combines the inside and outside into an emotional whole. Oh
1: no. They describe
0: the vision A V T R as a living creature. With 33 bionic flaps that are reminiscent of reptilian scales, and can communicate with the driver and through the driver via naturally flowing movements and subtle gestures.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: You know. What? Yeah. Yeah, I can see why the movies have been delayed for so long. He's sitting over here just drawing pictures of cars. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I
1: looked at the picture of the car and I thought, oh, that's a cool looking car. After hearing your description, I don't want my car getting that close to me. No, I like it really touching don't. me? And yeah, no. Like wanting me to touch it back? Deep in the innermost spots. And yeah, no,
0: no. I'm going to need counseling no. after I ride in that car. <laughs> Therapy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. <laughs> so it just is so goofy to me. Uh, you know, Star Wars. Did you like Avatar when it came out? I thought here, my thought on Avatar was that it was. A fantastic theater experience when you watched it in 3d on the imax like i did it was wow this is huge and this is a gorgeous planet design and it really it is was beautiful cool and cool and then my father-in-law rented it because he didn't watch it in theaters he rented it on dvd and we tried to watch it at his house i'm like this is a terrible movie <laughs>
1: doesn't help your enthusiasm for the film that's that's true yeah
0: it, it it is bad acting not you know not a good plot not it's just not a good movie yeah it was a really good 3d imax experience but it's not a good movie yeah
1: you know what i felt like when i when i saw avatar i yeah. thought it, it actually reminds me now in retrospect of rogue one <laughs>
0: that's a that's an Irrelevant pull, So <laughs> I'm just, I'm just minus
1: saying. Minus 27 points. I'm just saying.
0: You. I thought it was a really fun movie, too. I've watched but... Rogue One. i watched it in theaters. I've watched it since. Uh... It holds up in a way that Avatar does not.
1: Uh well maybe maybe I would watch Rogue actually, One before I would watch Avatar
0: again. That that's is for sure that, that's good at least. Yeah. I actually think Rogue One ruins the other Star Wars movies. Oh my goodness! Because that's how wrong. how can you go you were from wrong. how can you go from Rogue One where Darth Vader enters. You know the Republic ship, yeah. and it's just that's awesome. That's an awesome scene. That is an awesome where scene he just thing. shreds all the Rebel troopers, no. and it's almost it like a, a really horror cool. film. And then it's like, all right, well, let's plug in a New Hope, and he's like right, well, a chess piece with two handed
1: boom. You do not understand. You do not understand this. Like it's right, well, like right, watching well, a game. It's like, right, well, like, right, well, like right,
0: well, you do not understand the appeal of Star Wars. At it's all. like playing. It's all. like if you played a great VR. No action no. fighting game and then immediately plugged in pong no that's not true <laughs> that's <laughs> that
1: is such a lie that is such a lie you heard it here folks. a new hope
0: is so a new hope superior. is pong. so it was superior. revolutionary at the time no it, it's Undeniably still better it is still so, better but it is not No, it is, now it
1: is a new hope is still way better than road one no nope. way better
0: History will prove me. History will vindicate me. You're, you're, no. From your lies (laughs) and slander. (laughs) And maybe Twitter will. Maybe Twitter will vindicate me. Because that they do a lot of vindicating on Twitter. (laughs) That's not very likely at all, I don't think. Uh, You can catch up with us on Twitter and argue to your heart's Content Mostly with Paul. Yeah. But I'm open to it as well. Um, <laughs> if you're okay being wrong. I'm at I Jake underscore Roberson. I don't
1: understand how you can say Rogue One is better than a new old.
0: And I am at AC Paul. We're going to have to have a nerd battle. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to bring back the nerd battle. And we're going to duke it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we will. I will win. Because Absolutely you're loony. Not. Absolutely. You're loony. Speaking of which, we gotta bring back, you know, the going back to our backlist hall of shame. It's about time. That's There's right. You think.
0: Well we do. Do you have one in mind or you're just saying I just we'll think talk we about need it on to. the next show? I had several in I've mind. I've been trying to I've been trying to give you a break from your redlining. Oh yeah. Paul's yeah. a classic a scheduler of overscheduling.
1: Yeah. Um, well in February
0: tenth I will be I will be back and in the clear. black. And we'll do the backlist. All of shame. Back. Sounds in, great. Back in the backlist. Look who's back in the backlist. Backstreet's back. <laughs> That's it for our show this oh time. My <laughs> it really just went off the rails. It like, really did. Two and a half we minutes just, to go. We, <laughs> we just, it was like that plane crash in 1917 where it looks like it's kind of just going to go oh. down over the hill out of sight. And then all of a sudden it's coming roaring over the hill into the barn. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, it's just because of your illogic. So, anyway. <laughs> That's it for the show this time. Until next time, I'm Jake. I am Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye. We didn't talk about this, but I think we can do this without spoilers. Yes. Yes, because we know who won.
1: <laughs> right?
0: Where's a podcast when you need it?
1: Well, actually, we we might need to do like a spoiler warning because in all my reviews, I did not say, I already was refer- referred to two people. Mm, right, right going okay on this thing so, so we can spoilers? do spoilers we can do spoilers yes that's fine
0: oh wow well. paul just talked me in the spoilers let the record show hmm. hmm. saving that audio clip i was i was literally praying at different points in the movie just quietly in my own head. Really? Just like quiet little one-sentence prayers. You know, just Father, have mercy. You know, just sort of in your soul. Yeah. As you witnessed it.
1: It was a it was a hard movie. It is... The thing that I loved about it, and I think I've already mentioned this, but it was really... It was a war movie where you can go in. It doesn't feel like a rah-rah thing. It doesn't right. feel like you're carrying the flag. It... It treats the war as a horrible, terrible, awful thing that should be avoided, and yet it still gave um, credence to the fact that the people who fight in these wars, there's a heroism about them. Right? There's good that can happen even within these these terrible times. I think that I've really appreciated it for that reason. I think.
0: Yeah, it felt it felt like it did walk a good line between not. Overly politicizing and on either side saying right. war is this amazing heroic thing, or war is this evil nasty thing and all who are in it are terrible. It was like yeah. war is an evil nasty horrific thing, and yet there are yeah. humans within it who do amazing things.
1: Well, it, it reminded me honestly of Saving Private Ryan, which we may or may not talk about in this. Oh, I segment.
0: forgot the one thing I wanted to mention, so I'll leave this here in the bonus track. <laughs> <laughs> I had multiple moments where I could feel uh, – we know Tolkien wrote and conceived of Lord of the Rings, and a lot of it through his experiences in World War I. I felt echoes of that just in some of these gorgeous – like the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of the gorgeous, peaceful countryside yeah. and then the raped, pillaged, burned – countryside i was like this is the yeah. shire and this is mordor and this is sam and frodo you know like and this is F- sam if frodo died and he had to keep <laughs> taking the ring to mordor yeah i was like dang there you go that was nice yeah
1: that was not lame <laughs>